0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network, so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we take you to those places where you find those inspiring thoughts. You have those unanticipated yet unprecedented conversations that can change your life. And where does this happen? It happens when you're sitting in your living room as I am right now. It happens when you're sitting out on your deck or your balcony. Many of our episodes are filmed from my studio on my sumptuous Las Vegas balcony. They can happen in coffee shops, cigar shops, the networking function at the seminar, at the outdoor cafe in the park, while driving. The Business Creators Radio Show is a from the field podcast. I take it with me where I go in alignment with my laptop lifestyle. So sometimes you may hear a bird chirping in the background. You may hear a little bit of ambient noise. You may even hear a little gleeful laughter from a conversation elsewhere in the room. Today's going to be a bit quieter because I'm just hanging out in my living room with my office supervisors uh, the feline variety. We're going to have ourselves a fun conversation about a morbid topic, how to help your aging parents. Now, this may make you think, why would I tune into this? But let's think about why would entrepreneurs be concerned about this? I know I became an entrepreneur in part because I wanted to be in a position where I could pay forward and give back more effectively and have more range to do so based on my own merits and my own ability to create than being in somebody else's formula or somebody else's lockstep could ever do. Also, I hear from so many of our listeners and so many people in the entrepreneurial space their concerns that they want to be there to help their parents, they want to be there to help their children. And one of the things that keeps them up at night is concern they may not be able to or they may fall short after. All the heroics of having left the nine-to-five, having started their own business, having taken your entrepreneurial journey. Now, to help us through this journey that we're going to take today, and I don't even know exactly where this is going. This is what's sometimes fun about our episodes is we just set sail and we see what happens. I have with us Kim Curtis, who is the best-selling author of Money Secrets, Keys to Smart Investing. Now Kim is a nationally recognized wealth management advisor and president and CEO of the Wealth Legacy Institute. Her groundbreaking work in developing a highly personal client-centric planning model was recognized in the Journal of Practical Estate Planning, winning the editors' choice award. She's been profiled in several publications including The Wall Street Journal. Kim has attained numerous professional designations and been recognized by the financial planning industry as having achieved the highest level of competence and expertise. And she lives with her family in Denver, Colorado, which is one time zone, and about a day's travel by car from Las Vegas, Nevada. But with the internet, it's like she's right next to me. Come on in, Kim (laughs) Curtis. The weather's fine.
2: Oh, thank you, Adam. Thank you. You know, I don't know, Las Vegas, last time I was there, I had to visit that, uh, Golden Silver Pawn Shop, the Rick Harrison Golden Silver Pawn Shop. And yeah, I tell you what a treat that was.
1: (laughs) Did you actually do you actually meet any of the Harrisons?
2: No, no. Just the poster of Rick Harrison in the back of the shop.
1: That's that's the thing. People I know so many people would have gone there expecting to actually have that negotiation. And Have Rick say to them, Well, the best I can do is 20 bucks <laughs> when it's open to the public. The Harrisons normally aren't there, is the whole thing. Now, what is uh, now, first of all, I'm so glad because as soon as I read off your official bio, which by the way is so impressive, I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here, and it's my interview. When uh, it mentions <laughs> the numerous different professional designations, I was afraid. That I was going to have to read off a whole bunch of letters. I've dealt with <laughs> clients in the financial planning industry. We have a couple regulars to our lineup who usually come in about once a year, who are in financial planning and wealth management. And boy, I tell you, some of the certif- certification you guys get, uh, you have more letters in an MBA or a doctor <laughs> who also practices judo.
2: You know, it's funny, in my earlier years as a practitioner, that was very, very important to me. And now looking back, I think, wow, I really had a lot of self image issues that I needed to go for all those letters. So (laughs) I appreciate you commenting on that. Thanks. It throws me back in time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's just a funny thing that I noticed now. I, when I spell out my full name, I add the MBA at the end. That's sort of like my take that, suckers. <laughs> and and, and where and, and it comes from two different places. One is I've had people attempt to denigrate me. Believe it or not, actually denigrate me. I had a guy who wanted to start a fistfight with me because I have an MBA. Suppos, <laughs> supposedly that somehow makes me less of a business person in some people's eyes. It's a weird phenomenon that's out there. And then the other is there's a perception in the entrepreneurial space that's particularly online marketing information marketing that many of us are folks who read an ebook and declared ourselves experts in something and i and I've, i had that pressure once i remember very, very early on in my business one of my clients tried to instruct me to Become an expert in Google AdWords in 24 hours because we need to have a campaign up by tomorrow afternoon. Uh, now that now I understand that that request was driven by the whole uh, screw it, let's do it, say yes now and figure it out as you go along. I get that, but there's a difference between understanding the concepts expounded in an ebook with large prints. Versus actual profound expertise. So I like to show people that I do have a an educational background when it comes to the art of business. Now, granted, it's not exactly the same as entrepreneurship in some ways. But on the other hand, it's given me insights and has actually availed me to client opportunities that others may not have experienced simply because they were looking for somebody who shows that kind of credential. So when I made that comment about, uh, boy, I hope she has not make me read off 12 sets of letters, <laughs> I understand that all of those mean something. Like uh, in some cases, they mean you're number one at the captain's round table or something along those lines.
2: Oh, my goodness. Brings back memories. Let me tell you. Yeah.
1: So uh, before, so let's take a trip down memory lane. And as I and I warned our viewers, this is going to be one of those free flowing, uncharted sailing episodes. We're already off script here, and I'm having fun with it. So, uh, memory lane. I read yeah. off your official bio. So impressive. Not sure I'm worthy to be here. Even with my MBA. Even with your 12 sets of letters, you didn't make me read out. But uh, tell us in your own words. What's brought you to where you are now? Helping entrepreneurs serve from their intersection of their brilliance and their passion.
2: Yeah. Intersection of money and life. I love
1: that. I love that too. Money and life.
2: So uh, I I actually, boy, I could go back very far, but I won't. I I have a legal background. I, I grew up in New York and moved out to Denver to go to law school and my area of expertise after graduating was negotiation mediation arbitration uh, alternative dispute resolution and was with a national dispute resolution firm for 7 years i moved to actually moved to salt lake city to open up uh, an office a regional office and by the time i was 30 believe it or not i looked around at him and i was like i was no longer doing what i loved i no longer was doing settlement conferences i was no longer meeting with the the Clients, uh, the claimant and the respondent. Um, I was a spokesperson, encouraging people to put clauses and contracts and meeting with realtors' associations and bankers' associations. And so at 30, I actually had a friend that was in HR, human resources, and yep. put me through a battery of tests to find out what my skill set was. And that's when financial planning came up. And I thought, this is going to be a piece of cake. I'm going to transition, move back to Denver. And within three to five years, I am going to hit the holy grail financially, and I'm going to knock it out of the park. And three to you know five years, then I said, okay, five to seven years, okay, seven Uh to ten years, ten, and you know, I want to say the goal the
1: (laughs) goalpost kept moving. I get it,
2: kept moving away. Um, And what happened for me personally was I ended up starting out in a brokerage firm. And I'll never forget one day, I finally read the back of a disclosure statement on the, on the back of a client's investment statement is the disclosure. And that disclosure at the time was four pages, but it was two, two sheets to a page. So eight pages of tiny, tiny, tiny print. And I'll never forget, upon reading that with my legal background, that I thought, oh, my gosh, I am not a fiduciary that puts clients' interest first. I am simply in sales.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Now, you would think I would have known that uh, because I thought I was doing my best work. But the way it was structured, and still currently is structured in that environment, that um, it's impossible to put the client's interest first. You work for the house, the brokerage firm not the client even though you want to do the best for the client right um so that's when i left and created wealth legacy institute and that was almost 15 years ago and wealth legacy institute is an independent registered investment advisory firm that that's the distinction where you always have to put the clients first like a cpa and unfortunately there are only about 10% of RIAs, registered investment advisory firms in the country. The rest are in sales.
1: Wow. I know. (laughs) That is is something. I got got to tell you. Now, the eight pages of Mm. legalese, I've had clients who are financial advisors and actually felt so bad for them how they would build these great marketing things and uh, their compliance department would systematically dismantle all of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I yeah. it got to, yeah, where I drew the line with it is where I had some and, and I'll 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 come out and say this, I don't care who hears it. Some hack in compliance tried to lecture me on the CAN spam act. It's like, pardon me, I've been dealing with the CAN spam act since you were in kindergarten there, Junior. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I mean, compliance is to serve a purpose. Um, unfortunately, the purpose is oftentimes not in the best interest of the client. It's, it's to protect the firm's, uh, the firm's assets.
1: It's also, in my personal experience, driven by their desire to show power or otherwise they may not have it. And in dealing with so many of these conversations with these compliance departments, you hear again and again them saying, Oh, I don't like that. Um, I don't think that's cool. Well, wait a minute, what's I? The what what does this have to do? <laughs> and 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 a couple of my clients in that in that space were very good at saying, wait a minute, I don't care what you like. Is it allowed?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But I can see how that can be very debilitating. And then you open this stuff up and you see these eight pages of language. And you're realizing, okay, well, how am I helping my clients help their aging parents? I'm selling a product.
2: Right, right.
1: And then eight pages, and and the and the clients have to read all that or at least somehow check off that they read it somehow. And that's supposed to make them feel like highly confident in investing.
2: You know, before we get to those aging parents checklists, I do want to say, Adam, this is, that many people don't know how they pay for advice, particularly in that space. Yeah. And if you don't know, or if you are not paying for the, if you are not paying for the product that you're getting, then you are the product. If you don't know how you've paid for that product, then you are the product. And once you understand that, I think it becomes a little easier and you become more cautious about getting advice from people that are selling a a product. Um, So, yeah, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product.
1: And this is another thing. In many private conversations I've had with your financial financial advisor and wealth advisor types, they actually feel bad about this because they want to help people. And they don't mm-hmm. want to be seen as the salesperson. They actually want to guide their clients to make investments that will have the greatest chance of increasing their wealth.
2: Yeah, yeah, and most do.
1: Most yeah. do. Well, so
2: that's my journey.
1: Yeah, that's quite a journey. So let's have some fun defining some terms. And the first, for is, it. and the first is, what does retirement really mean?
2: Oh, it's different for every single person. Um, there. are there are so many avenues of how one defines it. Uh, you define it as if you're already in it uh, with your laptop outside in a park doing what you love. So I think when we define historically, retirement was defined from our parents' perspective, and that was working for a firm, get a pension, retire and live off the pension that the company gave you. Today with the gig economy and side hustles and the fire movement, there's so many different definitions of retirement and how we show up. And then with the pandemic, how many people paused and reset and recognized work-life balance or balance in general. And I think that ideally, when we think of retirement, it generally comes down to doing what you love.
1: I think so. I think that's the most interesting definition I've ever heard. Uh, It's certainly is not the gold watch in the shack in Fort Lauderdale because neither of those things exist anymore.
2: <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's, so basically we're looking at retirement meaning and the way I'm interpreting this is whatever makes you happy. It's the idea that it doesn't necessarily feel like work anymore. I have, cl- I have clients who are in their sixties who can't even see the idea that they're going to stop doing what they're doing.
2: Particularly as entrepreneurs. In general, I would like to think we love what we do when we start a business versus just a business to make money. Otherwise, that's a job. (laughs) So if you're doing what you love and have financial independence around it or security, however you define, um, then I think you're there.
1: Fantastic. So again, we're still in the uh, area of identifying (laughs) terms and concepts here. So the next thing is, in the green room, we discussed the concept of making a shift from saving for to living in retirement. And since Mm. we've identified the retirement doesn't necessarily mean you stop working. What do we mean from this shift from saving for to living in?
2: You know, when if you were to draw a pyramid, and at the bottom of that pyramid is managing money, you know, we, we start to save We start to build a little thing and we need to manage it to make sure that we have it for later. Well, the next above that pyramid is achieving goals. And then above that is peace of mind. And at the top of that pyramid, the apex is impact. So when you think about working through life, almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So you work, you finally make some money, you're saving, you're working, and now you have goal achievement. You have some identified things that you want, a beautiful home on the ocean, whatever it may be. And then you have peace of mind because you know you're finally on track. I think people yeah. in my space, that's what we do really well, is get people to that peace of mind space. So then they actually have the room to breathe, to actually think about what is their legacy? What is their impact? What is it that they want to do in life? Because when you kind of just work for money and you're not living your passion or your purpose, what when you finally get to the place that you have time to think about it, And then eventually, hopefully, find out why you're here on this planet, that's when you've arrived. And that's, I think, as entrepreneurs, hopefully, we're living our life's purpose. And if not, how do we get in alignment so that we could make more money while we live our life's purpose uh, so that we have impact? And that's truly the holy grail of kind of saving to living in.
1: Right. So now let's shift to the parents. Mm. And what if you find yourself in a place where you want to help your parents, particularly if they're going through the process of aging, if they're getting up there in years or long in a tooth, as as others would say, and you're wondering, now, what do I do?
2: Yeah. You know, Adam, I, I, I this is uh, dear to me because I just lost my mom a couple months ago. And it motivated me to write about it and to what were the missteps for someone in my business as I took care of helping my mom and getting her to that place of transition? Uh, What were my mistakes and what could I do to help others not make those same mistakes? And so we put together, I put together this aging parent checklist and it is a comprehensive checklist on how to protect and care for your parents or your parent or someone that you love. Right. And so I think the most important thing when someone enters this space or when you start to notice a parent slipping or you've just lost one of the parents and now all of a sudden your your other parent is by themselves and you have to pay more attention to that and them is really starting out with creating a conversation with them, you know, like to uh-huh. sit down and talk to them. It's a challenging time for everybody. They are going through issues of loss. You're coming up with a different role of how you are with your parent, because oftentimes you're now the adult in the room, depending on aging and where they are. And so whenever possible, I think that that needs to be a partnership, ideally in a perfect world, if they're capable of having that conversation of that partnership to then decide what are some of their preferences and decisions as we move down this path.
1: Okay. So I'm hearing the idea of it being a collaborative process for one, I mean, that's pretty obvious. And it also seems like there's a lot more to this than might initially meet the eye. It's not simply a matter of coming up with money for them, for example.
0: Right. And then,
1: and then, and then here's a big question that comes up, and I'm going to address the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. There may be some entrepreneurs who really don't want their parents living with them. <laughs> think th- think think about it you're trying to run your business and you're hearing Kim Kim all day long
2: th- that would be terrible I've, and I've, I've, got, I say I've, that I, I
1: mean, I, I've got to say it and I say it with love but that can be a real thing
2: yeah and I did not live with my mom uh during that transition um I live in Denver as I said she lives in New York and my uh-huh. other sister lives in Tennessee and so there was no family member that lived near my mom. And so that brings up a whole nother host of issues of who are the people that are important to them, that that are in their lives and what is their role in their lives. My mom had a neighbor across the street, George, who would come in every morning and knock on the door, say, hello, Jackie, to see if she was still there. And then in the evening, he would say, he would come again and take, let the dog out in the morning and in the evening. Um, and Uh, say goodnight. That lasted for years. And I had no idea. I didn't know that until about two years ago that that was the relationship that she had with that neighbor.
1: Wow. That's, that's interesting.
2: Right. Which then comes to another piece is, you know, putting together an emergency information sheet, especially if you live out of town and not nearby is who are the family members and the contact people and the doctors and the hair and nail appointments and the religious institution that they attend. And, and as I said, the neighbors, the doctors, and all the other people that are important to your family member yeah so that it's in one place on the refrigerator that anyone could see it that goes into that house that knows what's going on. On Friday morning, she gets her hair done at this place, and here's the person who does her hair. Right. So things like that, that was one of the first things when my sister was moving away from the area to move to Tennessee, she kind of had it all in her head. And so by putting it, you know, in an information contact form sheet, uh, it was probably about 15 pages long of all the different things that were important to my mom. Uh, That was one of our first steps.
1: Yeah, I have a contact sheet like that, and I'm not exactly either aging or a parent but think it's not a bad idea for a lot of people to consider is what is either your routine or your regular range of things you do? Because who knows what could happen or when it could happen.
2: Very true. Very we're, true. We're, Particularly we're as entrepreneurs.
1: We're, yeah. We're concerned about estate planning, but sometimes we don't think about the obvious. Right. They, you what, know, if, <laughs> what if, what so, if, what if something happens? What if you, uh, what if uh what if I fell off my balcony and uh nobody heard from me for three days? Eventually somebody's <laughs> gotta start come, especially somebody's start got to, got to start looking for me.
2: You hope so, right, Adam? I you hope know, so, yeah. My team knows that in that on my desk, on my, you know, uh in our box fol- we use box as our storage management uh folders. And they know that there's a file in there that says Kim Dead. <laughs> Wow. And it has all the different things, the life insurance policies, the, the key man, all the different things that kick like into it, gear. Actually. And letter here's the letter that's going out to clients announcing. Here's the letter that, you know, how do you address my spouse, you know, in terms of the ownership of the firm. All right. these different things are in that file uh, available to my second man in
1: charge. Wow, so it's actually called the Kim Dead File. That's interesting. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I was trying to think like if no one knew this existed, what would they put in to try to find something?
1: <laughs> that's that's cute. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's crazy. But exactly what you said in terms of as entrepreneurs, how do we take care of the things that we've created our business and do we have things in place that if something happened to us unexpectedly, we get hit by a bus, Um, what are the, how do you want that communication to happen? And how do you make sure that the people you service are well-served?
1: All right. So now I'm going to continue for a moment down my own elephant in the room, uh, thing is how do you make damn sure your parents don't move in with you?
2: (laughs) Have a dog (laughs) if they're allergic to pets.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one.
2: Actually, your cat.
1: (laughs) My kitties. No, the problem is with my kitties, they're so cute. Everybody wants to move in. They
2: are. And I, and, I, and, 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 I,
1: and, and I say that because Alessandra is sitting right on my lap right now, looking me right in the eye. And I know that if I don't say the right words, she will go into Panther mode. And that'll be the end of me. They'll be pulling the Adam dead file. <laughs> day. Are you a Panther? Are you a, are you a powerful beast of a kitty? He
2: looks like a roar, Panther. Roar. Yes,
1: you are. <laughs> Okay, get down, Alessandra. Daddy has to work. Uh, Now. Yeah,
2: yes.
1: Okay, so now let's shift it a little bit to the entrepreneur's perspective. And I may have brought this up before, but now I want to sort of work around that. And then we'll come back towards the checklist in just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Is let's say you find yourself in that place where, and you may be an entrepreneur over the age of 50, let's go with the original description here. And you find that your business has not gotten to the point yet where you feel you're capable of delivering that care that you'd like to be able to deliver.
2: So what we did in this, in our situation, in the beginning is that we had a family friend that would um, twice a week take go and help my mom in terms of cleaning the house and take care taking care of other things and you know cleaning up and stuff and visiting and a companion. Um and then that went to eventually then it went to so a family friend in the beginning we weren't paying for that. It was just something that they really wanted to do. Um and then we started to pay them as a courtesy just because we didn't want them to feel terrible. And then yeah. It went to five days and then we brought in another person and we paid them. Uh-huh. So I, our parent doesn't, they don't want to live with us. They want to be in their own home if they can be. Yeah. And so really, how do we make that happen by first, are they active in a church. Uh, My mom was very active in the Methodist church. And so we were able to actually get people from the church, like the pastor, to visit her more often or having uh, the women from Friendship Circle do visits around. So there's a lot of things without resources that you can do to kind of have eyes and ears on the ground where your parent is um, to give you feedback as they may need more care. And that's actually what happened to us is Is that old family friend eventually said, Look, this is getting very serious. Um, Your mom is really struggling with writing checks, her finances, and short term memory. And so it kind of gradually moved into eventually, in my situation, it was 24 7 care. Um, And so, because there's a form that's called a MOLST form, M O L S T, and that's medical orders for life sustaining treatment. And many states, You put that, again, like on the refrigerator, because if something happens, that gives anybody direction as to she does not want to go to the hospital. Just give her a lift assist to get back into bed or to get him back into bed. And when you have a most form, everyone kind of has a good understanding of what's appropriate. And my mom particularly did not want to go to the hospital. She wanted to stay home. And that's why the 24-7 care kicked in. And then we brought in hospice, which is a whole other story.
1: Right, so again, we're back to identifying what it is that with the, the parent of the family member wants. and my question is is if this is something you're able to speak on is, what if you find yourself in a situation where you just don't have the money to do it?
2: Yeah, I, I think that that happens more often than not. And what basically, the parents, you wipe out the assets because whatever care that you have is being paid for uh, yeah. through the, through your parents' assets, whatever they are, a uh, social security check. Um, and once that's wiped out or the house, you could do a reverse mortgage or you could do a line of credit on the house instead yeah. of a reverse mortgage. If, if that's set up early on before you're even at this point because you have to have income to have a line of credit. But if you have right. this ongoing line of credit to the house, that allows you, instead of doing a reverse mortgage, doing it yourself to help pay for care, um, and then ultimately, when the money is depleted, it's it's Medicare, it's Medicaid, okay. and that's a whole other sequence of events that kick in through Medicaid that allows for care in an assisted li- in some type of living community uh, uh, that helps them with their care. And I think that's what happens to people is they get to Medicaid right away. And then it's that it's not really in the house, then you're going to a, a retirement community or a nursing home.
1: Yeah, uh, I can imagine that the, that might not that, that might not be the first step that somebody wants to take.
2: Right, right. It's not the first step that your your parent wants to take. I'll tell you that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Although you know, during the pandemic, a lot of these seniors were lonely extremely isolated and extremely lonely and that's part of one of the things in terms of a successful retirement. you could have all the money in the world and have a failed retirement uh, because you don't have community or you don't have a life purpose or so there's lots of things on what is a successful retirement what is a successful aging and one of the number one things in studies that come up over and over again is community.
1: Yeah right so
2: so being home alone as much as <laughs> they may alone, want yeah. that isn't yeah, that's right may not be the best thing for them going into a nursing home to be surrounded by people that they could play cards or do different things or have conversations with may actually as hard as that is for us as the the adult children may actually be the best thing that could happen for them
1: yeah right right okay so uh So let's come back to your checklist and tell us more about that.
2: Yeah. You know, my mom had a lot of different little bank accounts. Okay. We had different banks and community banks. And so one of the very first things I did was to simplify and move all of her accounts to one place. The other thing my mom did several years ago is she put my sister and I on her bank accounts. So we were all owners on her bank accounts checking and savings accounts. Okay. Uh, so that made it very, very easy because when she transitioned and passed away, we didn't have to do anything with those accounts because we were owners already. Yeah. And then on her other assets, uh, again, they were small, but she had a couple annuities and to make sure that the beneficiaries are current. Now, those are just really basic things that you would think, you know you'd be on it but sometimes in the heat of the emotion of trying to take care of somebody that li- that you live out of town some of these little things sometimes get missed but making sure that there are beneficiaries and they are the appropriate beneficiaries on those accounts i had uh, a sister a younger sister who passed away several years ago And one of my mom's accounts still had my younger sister's name. She had the three girls and my sister was still on there. So that's just a thing that got missed that, that should have easily been picked up. Wow. I know. And she owned a safe deposit box. Um, I did know that she had a safe deposit box uh, when, and I asked for where the key was and she thought it was a certain place and it really wasn't. Um, but ultimately, we did find it, and we were able to get to the bank with her. She had to be present to open that safe deposit box, and we emptied it. Um, and there was nothing really of value in that safe deposit box. You know, maybe a couple silver dollar pieces um, and some old notes. But generally, the safe deposit box becomes a big issue after the person is deceased to be able to get to it. So, um Closing that out was a big deal and made it a lot easier.
1: Yeah. Okay, so what I'm hearing here is that just by going through this checklist, you discovered that there was a major potential problem due to somebody who had access to something who you didn't even know still had it. Right. That's right. Wow.
2: I mean, there are so many things that you uncover about your parent that you may not have known. Many parents don't like to talk about their resources or lack of resources. So just even having that conversation about what are the assets, what are your expectations, what are your preferences, what do you want? I mean, burial or cremation, that's like basic starting, but you know, there's so many other layers in between. What's your favorite music? When you can't communicate, what are the things that you want us to do to help you? Right. Um, So those are some of the things in the checklist that really kind of go, oh, wow, let's put together a playlist of my parents' favorite music so I could play it um, in their final stages while they're home.
1: Yes, this is something else that never would have occurred to me had you not brought it up, uh, some of these comfort items right here. Uh, Now, here's a question that I would just love to share with our audience and you just to show the level of thinking that might be needed here. And as you're listening to this episode for our listeners and for you, Kim, if this has come up for you before, what do you know for sure that people know what to do with you after you die?
2: Yeah. My family, I have two children. They're young Uh adults. And they're very aware, and a spouse, and they're very aware of what to do with me.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, do you know what to do with them? Parents ooh, that's
2: par- a great question. Par- par- you, yeah.
1: parents, parents aren't supposed to bury their children, but it happens. And then there's Egg. a question of, are you supposed to bury them?
2: Mm. I love those questions. Those are beautiful. There's so many places that they could take you. What would you do, Adam?
1: That see that th- see that threw me uh, when somebody shared that with me a year ago. They they asked me well, if you because I don't I don't have kids yet, uh, but uh, but you know, that may happen at some point. But let's say that I predeceased my parents mm-hmm. or I predeceased my next of kin. Mm-hmm. Would they know what to do with me? And I realized that they would probably create a bunch of assumptions. That would likely leave me in some sort of eternal purgatory.
2: (laughs) That's very true. I know if if my mom had to bury me, I would have ended up in a colibarium at the Eden Methodist Church in New York.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's a, yeah, I already know that I would have been transported back to that place I grew up in. And buried in that same cemetery as a lot of my biological relatives, and they would have held a funeral rake that made it look like I was your your good old hometown boy who basically was just a good local kid. yep, they, yep. They, I, I, I can see them building a timeline that erased my business, Las Vegas, and everything else from it to make me conform to somebody else's vision of what they hoped I would have been.
2: Oh, I know.
1: And, and then, and, then there, and there's, and there's the whole issue of being buried. I asked that question for a reason. I don't want to be buried.
2: Yeah, me either.
1: I, I want them to wait three days before they do it. Obviously, but I, I want to be cremated. I don't want to take up space in, the, in the earth. And also, I believe that uh, cremation is actually a, a better way of ensuring the remains will stick around for a while.
2: that's right that's right now
1: let's look at this let's look at this you may think oh but if you put them in a coffin and put them underground they'll always be there okay you're going to be monitoring that cemetery 24 7 to know that they're not digging up old caskets to make room for new ones and what happens when you stop paying the bill what happens when they run out of space what happens 70 years from now when they decide eh, nobody remembers kim curtis we'll just stick somebody else there But if your heirs still have the ashes, you are still around.
2: A lot of different. uh, This is
1: morbid stuff to think about, but yeah.
2: It is. Well, you know, it's not morbid. It's it's actually interesting and empowering to have these questions because I'm still thinking about what would my children want? And you're right. As adults, as parents, we tend to put our our culture values on their stuff. As you described, what would have happened for you, uh, you know, in that small town, the small town, good boy. And it's so fascinating to be able to have these conversations with our children, our young adults, our adult children, who knows if they're not married that you are heaven forbid having to make those decisions for them instead of their spouse. Um, what, what is it? and and I think the ability to have those conversations, and if you've had those conversations says a lot about the relationship that you have with your family and your ability to communicate about your resources, about your intentions, about your values um, that only ultimately end up in a stronger relationship.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that works both ways as well. As you pointed out, and this really struck me, knowing what kind of music your parents like. So what if they find themselves in a, in a, in a demented or vegetative state and you want to create a playlist for them? How do you even know? And we didn't even talk
2: about the service. We didn't even talk about like, what kind of service do they want to have?
1: Yeah. Yeah. See, I, one of the things I would want to make sure of is that they knew not to have some sort of, Sad, mournful type funeral for me.
2: What would you serve? What 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 beverages would you serve, Adam?
1: See that uh, that see that that that's one of the many questions that we need to to be clear on, and not only for ourselves, but also let's say for our parents. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe and maybe they secretly don't want the quote unquote traditional funeral procession either. Right. But how do you? But how do you know that unless you have that conversation with them?
2: That's right. And all of this is about empowering you because as a business owner and something happens, it's hard to create that window of time to take care of all these things, especially when it's unexpected. Yeah. But if all along the way, whether you live nearby or you're going back to visit like I was, for the last five years, I was doing different things in preparation for the ultimate end date. Um, And that was just because I don't live there. So, Every time I would come back, go back, I would always clean out the house. Do more things to clean out the house. That family friend, part of her job was uh-huh. to, to go through mom's clothes to kind of take, get rid of, uh, declutter the house, so that by the time you know last year, it was a beautiful house. There was there was not a lot of clutter. Um, and think about a lifetime of sixty years of living in a house. How that burden for the generation that has to deal with it. Of the house after your parent is gone. That is a whole nother conversation that is emotionally draining when you think about the amount of work in cleaning out a house.
1: Well, since we're speaking of cleaning out the house, and I think we have time for just one more topic here. <laughs> I, read, I read I read an article not too long ago. You know how in times past, at some point, the parents would gather the children around and say, All right, uh, I'm not dying yet, but what I want you to do is I want you to go through the house and tell me what you want after I go. So, like, go through the paintings and go through the furniture and, and decide upon what you want to inherit from the place. And what's happening is just due to societal and demographic shifts, among other things, is in many cases the kids don't want any of it.
2: None of it. None of it. My mom had these quilts uh, that were hand done, hand knitted quilts um, that she had for each grand per, grand uh, child. And yeah. when it was, you know, no one, none of them wanted it. it. Who wants? And at the time, like a couple of them were like a twin bed. You know, who wants a purple quilt for a twin bed that you don't even own a twin bed? Not to right. mention, do you really want the quilt? It was very important to my mom to have these quilts that she. Found throughout the years to save for these grandchildren, the 13 grandchildren, and none of them wanted the quilts or the silver. And it wasn't really even silver. It was plated, but no one wanted a silver set and she had seven of them. Wow. Yeah. I think she liked to go to antique.
1: Yeah. You know, she, it, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is something, to, something to think about. uh Cause like, and, and I'm kind of, and I'll say this, this is not exactly if any of my family are listening to this and I know sometimes various relatives listen to my stuff. Cause they're looking for this information about me, I think, but uh, <laughs> I've already made clear. I don't want anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, uh, they, they, they have uh, all kinds of paintings and artwork and, and pieces of furniture and all that. And I don't want any of it. I've. It it, it doesn't interest me. If anything that I wanted, I already got out of there.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. And just in terms of of times changing. I mean, my mom had a lot of antiques in her house. Who has (laughs) antiques uh, nowadays? I mean, my children shop at Ikea and have disposable furniture.
1: Right. Right. The idea that. And more and more, the idea that you're going to buy one house and you're going to live there your your entire life is just not a thing like it used to be. Right. Part of that is the realities of economics and how wages and earnings have not even made an effort to keep up to rising housing prices. Part of it's cultural as well. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. and, and, And perhaps one is driven by the other. That's a whole different conversation for a separate interview in another time. But- The fact is quite simple is, and this is with a lot of people I know, they just don't view the idea that they are, even the ones who own houses or are paying mortgages and stuff like that toward ownership, don't have the vision that that's where they're going to live the rest of their life. Right. They know that at any time, another opportunity could present itself.
2: Yeah, very different times. But so this checklist, Adam. Yeah. Yeah. Could be, again, at agingparentchecklist.com uh-huh. um, if someone wanted to go snag that. It's really, really filled, very comprehensive list on some of those things that are important. And we only touched on maybe not even 5%.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. So if there's one more thing, because if somebody's going to pick up that that checklist at, at, the, at the agingparentchecklist.com, If there's one more thing that you would want people to zero in on as we wrap up here, knowing they have a lot to go through here, and I'm going to download it myself because I'm really curious now. What is one other thing that you think that they would see and be perhaps either mind blown or at least paused by? Mm -hmm. Because it's one of those things right in front of you. Like I keep coming back to is understanding your parents' musical tastes because then how do you know to create a playlist for them? Right, because I because that because I'll tell you what happened is that gave me that gave me a fear that I would be in a demented or vegetative state due to something happening either abruptly with my health it was unanticipated or me being in some sort of almost fatal accident or something like that and somebody getting the idea that they would uh, want to play some music by Madonna <laughs> I would pro- I would I would probably try and end it myself but see. <laughs> But see, if I don't communicate that, then how do they know? Very, very true. Right. Very so, true. What's one, so what's one other thing?
2: You know, I, I honestly, the ch- some of the checklists are so obvious that they're, but you don't think about it. Um, but I think the most important thing, and we really hit on it from a macro perspective, is really just having the conversation, asking yeah. them the questions. What do they want? Right. What do they envision? How can you help them get there and doing steps today to make it easier later? Because they don't want to be a burden. They don't want you to end up having to deal with their crap when they're gone. They want to make it easier for us. Um, So the biggest thing is to start the difficult conversation of asking them, what is it that they would want you to do?
1: Great. Great. Absolutely. So just to a l- a reminder, our listeners one more time, the website for this is agingparentchecklist.com. Go there and prepare to be mind blown, but it's a very important thing to do. In fact, I urge you to at least go there and sign up for it now. as there This is something that's key, and you'd rather pay attention to it when it's not an emergency. So with that, Kim Curtis, thank you so much for being with us. It's been an honor, and believe me, in education.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Adam.